Listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hi, this is Stan, the guy with a big ol' exclamation point. You know what that means. And you are listening to the Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 235, we're going to be hilarious as we talk about comedy and games. And joining us for this discussion is the funny man of gaming, the Dungeon Bastard, Tom O'Mell. Welcome back, sir. Thank you so much for having me back. Yes, yes, I'm in my civilian persona, I guess. That's right. As a, yeah, as I, think, my... I think when we talked to you before, you we made you jump back and forth, huh? It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. It's been known to happen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk in whatever capacity. I'm glad uh-huh. to be back. Right on. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, it's time to get funny, yo. <laughs> it's so much pressure, Jeff. I don't know that I can take that. That's, you're setting the bar high. Well, uh, you are the funny man of gaming. Tracy said so just a moment ago. So, <laughs> so it has been anointed. I need to update my, my resume. That's right. Hello, Internet. It's me, the funny man of gaming. I don't know who else you've been listening to, but you've been missing out. That's right. Uh, so, so we're, yeah, we're going to talk about gaming and what is, I guess, how to do comedy at the game table and when to do comedy at the game table and if we should try to do comedy at the game table. You know? Well, that's the primary question, right, is, you know, just when do you use it? Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's a good question. You should answer that. I should answer that. <laughs> well, no, let me turn it around first before I dive in. Okay. Have, have either of you ever employed humor deployed humor at the game table like 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 like, because i think what we're talking about is is a different thing than like i feel like everybody's gaming session has those moments where you throw in an aside or somebody makes a joke or you know or throws out a pun but it's not planned right i mean we're talking about just so that's just sort of like the the joy of socializing you know the the uh the serendipity of the of of our hobby that 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 you have smart people who get together and have fun you know and so I, think that's, to, I think to be clear we're going to be talking about comedy like in the game not the oh hey guys let's stop gaming for a second i thought of a funny joke right 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 yeah exactly so so let me ask you first um have either of you deliberately planned to oh i want to have this humorous element or i want to you know um, do a twist on the session, or do a do a spoof session, like sat, you know, do a, a satire of my own campaign, or something like that. Have you ever tried anything like that? The only time I have intentionally incorporated humor into my game is when I when I ran Gamma World. 
And that's kind of like that's just baked into the game, or right. like, or at least at least the the genre just like deliberately asks for it, right? Right. I do it all the time. I do like pop culture references. Like I had uh, one encounter where two of the bad guys, one was named Hans and the other was Franz. Nice. <laughs> yeah. See, oftentimes when I incorporate that kind of humor, it's because I didn't plan it. <laughs> it's because uh, uh, I don't have a name. Uh, that guy's Hans and that guy's Franz. There, done. You know. Oh yeah, no, and I had it that when the other per- like the other one got hit, the the one would say like the guy's name. So it's like, and that's how they found out that the who they were called, like what the names were. Right, right, and and is, is that something that like does your group just eat this up? Do they want more of it? Is it like how does? I'm because I really think it's it's a question of like one, how do you run your campaign, and two, how does that mesh with your group? Well, I think for my group, they tended to to like it okay because a lot of them were just trying to blow off some steam after like a hard work week or something. They didn't necessarily want it too serious. Yeah, and I and, guess. And, and is was that in the context of like a one shot type of game? Like you guys like kind of just play pickup games, or was like this a like a, a fundamental element in your campaign? Uh, well, it was it was during an ongoing campaign. I mean, part of it was we named it after uh, the Dark Magic's Hampshire and New Hampshire thing. So, like, it was obvious from the beginning that I was going to be incorporating what those guys were doing uh, with the Penny Arcade podcast and stuff like that. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, I think that's like that's like the f- before you even like like put anything to paper or or start formulating too many thoughts i mean i think you have to ask yourself like what type of campaign am i running Mm -hmm. um um and what kind what kind of group do i have i mean those are (laughs) two kind of like like those those things have to be in sync otherwise it doesn't it doesn't really work i mean um so so i've had a group here in los angeles and we've been playing Oh, almost seven years, I guess. Um, we've had an ongoing game, but we've changed. You know, we've had different people take the reins as DM and different different campaigns and different systems and and uh, the whole gamut. And so, like, w- one of my friends, when he, he ran the game, it was sort of based off of his home campaign that he had run for a long time. And so, like, he had ideas that had been going way back, but it was – it had kind of um, – like the ideas in the campaign were were sort of larger than life, you know. So, for instance, there were two countries that were situated right next to each other. There were essentially one company or one country that had split in half, and one country was called something like the Nation of Hats, and the other country was called the Nation of No Hats. <laughs> and so, you know, if you went into the Nation of No Hats with a hat on, everybody knew that you were a foreigner. You know, and that was and that was like that was that was one of the elements in his game. Um, uh, And, you know, as the group, like that was our job was to embrace like that sort of like big idea type of thing, which, you know, admittedly, like to my sensibility, has more of a whimsical edge than like, you know, (laughs) I mean, if the the big cultural divide is hats and no hats, then, yeah, that's you've got to incorporate whimsy there. Exactly. And, and I mean, he had interesting stuff, too. Like um, there were these flocks of giant ravens who would fly around and just grab stuff off of people and they would they would and then they would just fly away with it. 
But at some point, they always kind of got tired of carrying it, so they would just drop it and keep flying. <laughs> and so there was this whole country that was was kind of based around the idea that you would like go around and scavenge whatever these giant ravens had dropped, you know. So, um, so it was it was it was interesting stuff like that that had this like I said the kind of this whimsical edge. On the on the flip side, like I came up through you know my formative gaming years like reading like you know playing the old classic AD&D modules and reading Forgotten Realms and to me that's a very like uh, I hate to use the word realistic in terms of like a fantasy Grit- grittier. thing <laughs> well do you really think the I don't know that gritty is actually the right I didn't like, say I didn't I didn't say gritty I said grittier Grittier, yes, that's true. It's definitely grittier than 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 a nation entire composed entirely of people who refuse to wear hats. Yes, yes, yeah. It's just a little more um, de- not It's not more detailed. Well, maybe it was anyway, but um, it just has a different. You know, it has a tonal shift. It's a more and, serious tone. Uh, I was I I set up um, the campaign that we're currently playing when I originally set it up. This was probably two years ago. Um. I was like, okay, so here's the deal. Um, there's this thing called the Temple of Elemental Evil. And uh, the history of it is that uh, uh, Prince Thrommel and a bunch of, you know, of the forces of Furiandi went and fought the Battle of, you know, Battle of Emerity Meadows. And they killed all of these, you know, evil forces. And then they locked them up inside this uh, temple. And... The you know ostensibly the the that's where the, like the module picks up like ten years later where all of those people are gone mm-hmm. and uh, and um, and the forces have kind of like been rekindled right they've they've, they've started you know re- reinforcing their themselves and and uh, you have to go and route them again because they were never put down you know for good in the first place so I decided to, I was like well I want to play with the prequel I don't want to play with the regular module I want to play with the with the history of it so like let's make these guys who who are um who are descended from the guys who fought at the battle of emerity metals like like your job is to kind of avenge your father <laughs> um to and and we're going to go through the temple of elemental evil and your you or someone who was close to you was involved in that original war effort and they disappeared under some sort of circumstances either they were killed outright or you know they they were were mia and who knows what happened and so I, I handed out like like little slips of paper, like saying, "Okay, you are you are the son of you know uh, uh, Red Gain, the the the, um, the swift fingered, who was you know known for being a sly thief and a, you know a master cook and blah blah blah, right?" And so I had these like little, <laughs> I had this detailed campaign world that we're you know obviously in an established published campaign setting, and uh, our kind of a rich history to back it up, where I happened to be jumping in right at this point where. You know, there was some wiggle room with the with the campaign or with the with the world mythology uh, or the timeline that I could mess with, and then I gave them very specific hooks of like, this is your dad, and he was like kidnapped, or he was rumored to have been killed, or and one one of the players, I hand him the thing, and I'm like, you are the bastard child of Prince Thrommel himself, and he has uh, he he disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to him, and your job is to find out what happened to your father. And everybody's like, okay, okay, great. Yeah, this looks great. This is great. I go, all right, well, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you, you know, why don't you go around the table and tell everybody, you know, who you are? And we get around to the guy who's the bastard child of, you know, Prince Thrommel, you know, 
heir regent to the um, crown of Furiandi, and he goes, yeah, my name's Timmy J. Thrommel. (laughs) (laughs) And there's just like, for me, it was like, okay, there's a disconnect there between you are the son of royalty and your character's name is Timmy J. Uh, But, but you know, I mean, that's the character that he chose to play. So it was one of those things where it's like, you, I think, as a DM, need to be very careful about like inflicting your play style on your players. Um, you know, uh, you would hope that there's some give and take, you know, backwards. You know, there's some reciprocity there that the players shouldn't totally overwhelm uh, the DM scenario. And I feel like, in, like in my group, I have a good, you know, we have fun, we crack jokes. Um, uh, we have certainly running gags and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, like you know, serious things go down, and 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 uh, I get to run the kind of game that I want. So, so well, I guess that 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 sort of highlights the the first sort of question, the first sort of divide here, right? Um, intentional comedy or accidental comedy? I guess in the at the game table. Because I think generally people are are good with the idea of the sort of accidental comedy, right? The the guy who decides to to name himself Timmy J. Thrommel uh, on the spur of the moment sort of thing. Uh, it's it's trickier to to bake in the comedy to the adventure or to the the setting or whatever, like the 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 countries with the divide of hats or no hats. Um, because I find sometimes when when I go to that kind of place, that more whimsical place, it also is harder to get the players to buy in. Yeah, you know, I, like to me, this all goes back to what you mentioned earlier, which is like, what is the genre of the game that you're running? If you're running, you know, kind of like a, 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 a for lack of a better term, since we've just stumbled across it, gritty, you know, fantasy campaign that's, you know, maybe... More on the role master end of things than necessarily like kind of the whimsical type of thing. Then I think it's very difficult to find that scenario where you go, okay, I'm going to deliberately plan a humorous session. Um, on the other hand, if you're running Gamma World, um, where nothing is really taken all too seriously, mm-hmm. um, I think it's a lot easier to make every session have some sort of um, you know fun kind of humorous bent to it. And I think one of the one of the things that I love about Gamma World and, and one of the things that makes that easy is, you know, first of all, everything in the world is ridiculous. Well, yeah, you know, you have, Gamma World is ridiculous whether you bake it in or not. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I think because of that, you've got a couple of things going on. One, which is the players have permission to not take it seriously. And I think that's like – you know, to 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 build off of what I was saying earlier, like they know the tone and and they know that they can screw with whatever's going on, and they're not going to ruin the drama of the moment or or you know wreck something brilliant that you had planned or make light of something that you think is supposed to be you know um, a, a, a high drama serious you know grim moment of of, of truth. Um, so, so the players have permission to kind of like to to let loose a little bit, and and that, I think that's important. Um, I think the other thing that Gamma World has going for it is that everything is twisted through the lens of you've got the modern world, but it's all distorted by this apocalyptic event, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, you can have, uh, you know, you can, <laughs> you can have a, a giant pig man riding on top of a motorcycle with a shotgun that shoots grenades, because why not? A hog on a know? hog. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly my point. So, so what, what, what that does for you is, number one, it makes the world kind of like familiar in a funhouse mirror type of way for your players. But it also gives you grist for ways to spin off stuff that they're familiar with in a funny kind of way, you know. So I, I, it's funny that you bring, bring up Gamma World because I also ran a Gamma World campaign for about two years. Mm. And, um, you know, I, one of the things that, that I did, <laughs> first of all, the characters, like, two of them were giant radioactive cockroaches and one of them was uh, a winged cat person that was... <laughs> It was sort of like in conflict with itself because it loved flying around, but it also loved being a cat. So it would it would eat birds like constantly. I'm like, you realize there's sort of a kind of a weird carnivorous cannibalistic element going on, right? Um, and did it hunt the cockroaches just for fun and then toy with them? I, you did not screw around. No, the cockroaches <laughs> were nine feet tall. The cockroaches <laughs> would hunt her if, if she had tried anything weird like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Um, so the characters are kind of off the wall and gonzo. Um, but then on top of it, I was like, well, what would be fun? What would be a fun thing? You can almost like, you know, pick any element of pop culture from the past hundred years or more and drop it into Gamma World because it's got this weird time convergence apocalypse thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, I, I took, you know, uh, Soviet space monkeys and made them intelligent and <laughs> – and and the party ended up getting captured by them, and they you know, and it worked perfect. Like nobody took the to begin with, they took them seriously. But then after a while, it's like, no, I just want to shoot these monkeys. I hate these guys. So, so I think you know, it, it, I think you have to seriously like if you're going to run humor, you've you've got two choices. You're either you're running a humorous game right off the bat, in which case, like like let loose. You know, um, don't. Try and run something. I don't know. You know, I was going to say try and some, run something rules light. I don't, you know, Gamma World worked. Um, was it necessarily like we were playing the 4E version of Gamma World? Was it necessarily the most rules light thing? I don't know. But it certainly had. Really? I yeah, mean, no. I don't think you need rules light to be, to be in a comedy game. You know, I, it, it, I think it's all about the expectation and the setting. That's what makes it a comedy right. game, right? That's, that, that's where that, Gamma World works. I think that's the number one thing, although I will say that if you have a system that allows your players to um, kind of kind of break game rules uh, or, or be more narrative than maybe some of your – like then specifically like a role master or like a GURPS game or sure. um, right. you know, something like that, then, then they get to have the, the joy of taking the game to the places that you can't imagine – what would happen, you know? I mean, the, the the worst thing you can do in kind of like a fun, you know, comedic game session is have to stop and go, well, actually, you can't shoot that grenade over the top of the roof and blow up the giant radioactive tank filled with um, mutant goo because it doesn't have the you, – you're at minus nine range increment in order to do that. You know, that's like like all of a sudden everything's just ground to a halt. Right. Um, How dare you get your realism into my comedy? Well, that's the whole, you know, right. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think if I were to like tell people like, oh, I, you know, you, oh, you want to have like a, like a goofy fun game experience, um, like a game that I love to run in, in, in that tor- sort of situation is a game called Danger Patrol. 
And there's basically like <laughs> Danger Patrol is extremely rules light and and a lot of it is left to the players to like help invent. You know, um, I won't go off on a huge jag about it, but you can go to DangerPatrol.com and check it out. Um, it's very simple to play. You can explain it fairly quickly. And um, and you can, and it's designed so that, you know, OK, you are um, chasing the rocket sled down the rails across the Martian Mesa. What are you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to fire my gyro rifle. OK, great. Well, that's that's fine. But then you ask the player like, well, what's what sort of danger is involved in firing your gyro rifle at this speeding rocket sled that's, you know, careening across the Martian Mesa? Well, um, I might not have uh, maintained my gyro rifle very well, so it's possible that the round could just explode in the gun. All right, great. Well, now I, now you get extra dice that you get to add to accomplish your task. So you, you up the, your chance of success by upping the amount of potential failure that you might actually okay. incur. But it gives, your, it gives the players, like, input. And not, so not only do you ask, you know, not only do we say, okay, Jeff, what, you know, what's dangerous about firing your gyro rifle? But then I would say, okay, does anybody else at the table have any ideas of what might be, you know, Tracy, do you have some danger that Jeff might be incurring here by firing this thing? Um, and, and then you get to chip in. So it's, it's never not your turn in a sense. And that's, you know, that's one of the other things that's that cool. I love about that particular, um, the, the design of that particular game is that everybody gets to chip in on what's happening and you never, I mean, so many times in my D and D game, I hate to say it. Um, if we're getting in, if we're in a big fight and there's a lot going on, somebody takes their turn and then they turn back to their computer or they turn back to their phone and they wait for it to go around the room and the month, you know, especially if I've got a bunch of monsters acting as like, uh, you know, they kind of check out. Um, so that's, that specifically is a game that I would highly recommend people check out. And I think it, it's, it's written in like a, like in a flash Gordon type of world. That's a parody of like fifties, sixties, sci-fi, um, the red menace, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's super fun that way. Um, you know, I guess we could, we could talk through the pantheon of like what are considered classic comedy RPGs too. you know, paranoia, for instance, um, certainly has that reputation. Mm-hmm. And that's I, a game that can go, you know, delightfully great or it can go completely off the rails. And I think there may be a place for that, but I, but I think uh, it might be useful to people to understand how to take whatever game they're currently playing and how to inject comedy into that too, right? There's, I think there's, 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 I mean, we've already sort of talked about it, right? There's the intentional and then there's the accidental. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about each of those, right? Sure, how do sure. You, how do you intentionally put comedy in? When do you do it? When do you want to squash it? And then, and then, how do you encourage the accidental? So, so let's start with the intentional. You know, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you intentionally put comedy into your game? Is it just making things whimsical, like the hat and no hat country, or you know, is it, um, boy, there's going to be an opportunity here to interact with this goblin NPC? I can make that, make that, you know, all kinds of humorous because it's never not comedy when there's a goblin <laughs> NPC. You know. So, so let's talk about the intentional first. How do we do the intentional and when should we do the intentional? When should we not? Right. I mean, I think you need to, you know, recognize you're going to need to work on recognizing the opportunities of where you can drop those elements in, you know, and, and, and again, it goes back to what's, what's the tone of your game. So if you are running a lighthearted game, uh, like Tracy was describing, then, then you have all kinds of opportunities to, to throw stuff in, and the, and the players know that they can play off of you and things like that. So you kind of have carte blanche, which, um, 
is is nice if everybody's on board with that. Now, if you're running a more serious style of game, like I was describing, then you uh, you ha- you have to like. I think you have to make a deliberate choice and go when you're when you're planning your encounters. Like, okay, why why is everything so serious? Right. You know, that that's where you got to go. When when do I have an opportunity to shake something up? And a lot of times, I think. Um, and you, the pl- best- and, you, and you think plan that ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Tracy. I was just wondering, have you read uh, Hamlet's Hit Points? I have not, no. Okay, because he, he ta- um, kind of talks about how um, plays and movies often have those beats, so you often get comedy, and then right before, like to break the tension or to uh, make things lighthearted before they go really south. Yeah, I think I mean I mean I think that's the sort of pacing that you have to look for moments of of either, you know, we've just come off of a very dramatic story point and we need to kind of like bounce back. Mm-hmm. Um uh or I think there's the thing where it's like I don't know how to fill this in in an interesting way. Because I think there is definitely a danger of if every person that your party encounters is somebody who is deeply developed and has all kinds of adventure hooks attached to them that um the problem that i experience in that sort of situation is either number one i've overprepared and they never come across those hooks you know or what's actually almost worse is they come across those hooks and then they either decide this is a subplot that we definitely need to investigate because this is important otherwise why would this you know why would this weird pastry chef have this this strange scar What's happened to you, good sir? Um, and and then the, the main thrust of your campaign, you can really just dilute down like like the the momentum and what's going on. I mean, I mean, I guess some people think, well, that's rich world building, and the players live in a sandbox and they can go anywhere they want, and that that's fine if you run that style of game and you can keep up with it and you can maintain your players' interest. Well, in I, my I, experience, it just go like like. You can have that stuff, but it can get so wild and wooly out there that all of a sudden your players don't know what lead to follow. And I would argue that the world is a pretty diverse place and that people are pretty diverse. And and as such, not every character is always going to be the the serious deep character either. You're you know? going to need a bombadil. Yeah, I mean, right. uh, you know, uh, one of the things I, I had on my list to maybe talk about is is the difference between funny characters and funny circumstances and and what it's like to to plan for each one of those. And I think honestly, in my situation, it's a lot easier to plan for funny characters because people to me are funnier than than setting, you know? Uh, and so if I can plan sort of a quirky funny character, I can just sort of put myself in that mindset and not like pre-write the jokes because I don't think that would go well, you know? Um, whereas funny circumstances for me are harder to pull off without taking – without destroying some suspension of disbelief, you know? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely like if, – if I were to advise people on like what's the easiest, safest way to um, inject comedy into their game, I would say it's to have – the goof introduce the goofy character or just even just a quirky character it doesn't have to be you know an over-the-top kind of clown buffoon type of guy but but create a guy who's got a bit and whatever that bit is it can be as you know as big and broad as you want the guy throws pies or it can be as like small and weird but you know he just he really likes walnuts hey hey do you guys have any do you you have do you have any walnuts Do do you know where i could i could get some because i 
I bought all the ones at the store. You know, like that's sort of like, you know, you, you take a small detail, you make it make it very, very important to that character and to the point of ludicrousness. And then, you know, what? if the players love it and enjoy it, then you can keep playing with it. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, guess what? The guy wanders off to go find some more walnuts, you know. Now, how much of that kind of stuff do you plan ahead of time, though, and how much of it do you just sort of make up on the fly? Well, <laughs> what, what what do you mean by you? Because well, in the way you, you know, when I mean, you run, when you run your games, I mean, are you planning the humorous NPCs, or are you just sort of as they come up, you make them humorous? I think I think I I think I might be. You know, I don't know that I'm your average listener in that. You know, I've you know studied improv extensively uh, performed extensively uh i'm i'm a i'm a writer i'm a creator i'm a performer um and so to to drop into that sort of character is just something that i can i can turn on i can make a decision and do it mm-hmm. um you know, not everybody can do a weird accent at the at the drop of a hat, um, and nor nor should you be expected to. But um, you know, sometimes that's the well, what is the way that you make something kind of interesting and weird and funny is you put on the funny voice. But uh, it could get annoying if you talk that way the whole time. Eh? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Exactly. Uh, that, that was about my th- threshold on that voice. <laughs> you were already done. See, there you go. Um, so, so I, I, you know, I don't I, the way I do it. I don't necessarily plan it out a lot ahead of time. Um, you know, I tend to let. I, I, I will be honest. Like the storyline that I'm driving in my home campaign right now is really heavy. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, the the demon queen of fungi has been uh, in, has invaded the shadow plane. She she um, somehow through the players kind of like mm, uh, inadvertent. Uh, the players got a hold of a wish and they wished for her to be banished to the shadow plane and all those who serve her. And she had infected a whole bunch of, uh, of, of the King's men with her, uh, with her fungus. So they got ripped off the plane too. I mean, I mean, I'm talking like, like they've, they've killed at least two different gods at this point. So, so, so but I, and, and I think this is similar to, to sort of my approach as well, though. And I don't have all the extensive, you know, improv training and, and whatever, but for me, if I'm, if I'm running a more serious story, then I like to let the comedy sort of happen more organically. Like I don't plan it. I don't purposely inject it. Um, and, and maybe I should sometimes to get some of those beats that Tracy was talking about. Um, but I tend to just sort of say, you know what, we're sort of at a lull here, and that guy's kind of goofy. Here's a quirk I just made up on the fly, and, and I and I run with it, you know? Right. Um, I very well, seldom... Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, whereas I added talking chicken, who was a, me- a prince turned into a chicken by a witch. And you did that on purpose? Yeah. Like, you planned for that ahead of time? Oh, yeah, no, it was like a whole scene that they got introduced where the farmer's... Uh, cart had been overturned and all the chickens were running around and there just happened to be one chicken who was directing them to make the most chaos as possible. Nice. <laughs> nice. It, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's the mastermind chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's, the, I mean, that's the difference though. I mean, if you're, but you were doing a more whimsical game, so, mm-hmm. so you planned it. If you're doing a more serious game, do you plan comedy or do you just let it happen organically? And maybe that's the difference, right? That's the difference maybe between how you do a more whimsical game and a more, more uh, serious-based game. I, I think uh, – uh, I mean you know, when, you, when you talk about this, what occurs to me is that I tend to just sort of drop stuff in on the fly or pick up on something that the players say. 
and incorporate humor into the game that way. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I could benefit from planning moments where, you know, let's let's just have a brief interlude where like, okay, so when they go to to buy the new magical sword, maybe the guy's a little goofy or whatever, you know, or or maybe there's a there's a bit there that's not gonna affect the ultimate outcome of the story. Mm-hmm. Um and if it's not fun and it's not funny, we can move on. All right, so, that, um, so that's your challenge, Tom. Next time you're running your uh, Elemental Evil game. I you, think so. You, you need to plan some comedy into it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I, don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think, I think every Imix game is could... hilarious, and you should, you should play it that way. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that is actually something. I mean, you say that kind of like as a, as a, as a smart Alec remark, but – but that is something to consider is that if you were to encounter, say, the elemental prince of fire. All, like, all he ever wanted in life was a medium rare burger. But they're all well done. <laughs> they're all well done. <laughs> right, right. Well, 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 what I'm getting at, though, is like you have you you have a whole gamut of people and beings in your campaign. And to assume that they all want the same things that we do is sort of doing a disservice to the scope of your world building, you know? Um, yeah, sure, there's, there's the goblin who w- just wants to eat walnuts. That's great. But what would a creature who could, you know, is, is sort of the embodiment of chaos, evil, and, uh, you know, raging torrents of fire, what would they want? It's like that moment in uh, in Galaxy Quest where there's this, the giant rock creature that's made, and you're like, you got to you got to figure out its motivation. I am not a uh, I'm not a you know Chekhovian type of method actor by any stretch of the imagination. That's not my whole like figure out their motivation. I don't really I don't honestly believe in that approach to acting. That's a whole different subject in a different podcast. Um, but I think in in terms of when you're the the author of your world and you want to plan in a funny moment, like figure out like what is their motivation and let's and, and think about like what would it be if it were to be something sort of you know transhuman or you know beyond human into like like a demi if you're gonna if you're gonna you're gonna make that encounter like make it interesting and I think you know you know you. <laughs> It it could be a really interesting thing if Imix was like, I just you know, I just want you to give me a blanket made of tears, you know, <laughs> that I can hold. And 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 it sounds like a ridiculous type of problem, you know, something weird and odd and, and kind of stupid. But on the other hand, like it also like challenges your players, like, okay, you have to think of a way to make to, to find this thing. Now, ultimately, as the DM, you also have to help them find that thing. Um, but yes, yes. So I guess to, to circle around and answer your full question, I tend to incorporate these things organically and, 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 and improvise based off of what the players are doing. Um, but I think I could benefit from plotting some specific moments. And I think the keys to plotting those moments are, uh, number one, make them very pointed um, make it make it obvious that there's something different, uh, that there's a tonal shift going on, that this character is maybe a little bit bigger or a little bit broader or whatever. Um, and uh, number two, make them make them short, disposable, non-essential, so that if your players are not jiving on whatever is happening, like look, we've all like had that day where it's been a long day, 
and you know your wife yelled at you because you're leaving the house and you're leaving her alone with the kid for five hours and why do you have to go to this thing is it every sunday can't you just take a sunday off and i really need and you get there and you're just like burned out and you're not in the headspace for that for whatever goofy thing that the dm may have planned or whatever's coming up so i mean i think that's the other you know, I've, I've done quite a bit of crowd work in terms of I used to work at a at a I spent the summer several summers working at a at a baseball park and I would go around in the stands and I would sit down next to people and pretend that I was a foreign exchange student from Germany and I knew nothing about baseball. And, uh, you know, what's this? Your, it's, what's, I don't understand what it's why does he hit it with the stick? What doesn't he just kick the ball? It does not make sense to me, you know. Um, and the first thing that I learned doing that job is if somebody is not picking up what you're putting down, just like thank you and goodbye, get away. You know, <laughs> just, just and that's on. my advice as a DM: is if like like don't have high expectations, like 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 take the take, start small and just play around with it a little bit, and don't expect to like to hit a comedy home run yeah. out of the park. Don't waste your time um, with the hard sell. If it's going to be a hard sell, just move on. Right. And that's also why I think creating characters that are interesting or, you know, humorous as opposed to circumstances that are humorous, um, you know, crafting a circumstance that is humorous, it, it takes so much control over what's going on that I think it's, it's very easy to do badly. Um, whereas crafting a character that's interesting, I mean, and then the great thing is like, look, even in, in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, even if the guy dies, if the players love him, you can always resurrect him and bring him back, you know, for whatever, or whatever reason he can always, he can, you can always come back and revisit that dude. Um, we have a running gag in our campaign. Well, it's not even my, it, it comes from my friend's campaign that, you know, he developed, you know, way back in Ohio. Um, which is that any NPC that you don't have a name for, rather than scrambling for your little chart or whatever, if he's not important, you just name him Geltor. And so there's all these guys in the world who are named Geltor who are just, are just you know, they're just mooks. That's, they're that's that world's version of Bob. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. And it sounds, you know, as sufficiently, you know, you know, uh, epic fantasy that you can go, okay, Geltor, sure, that sounds, sounds like somebody in, in the world of Greyhawk, there would be a dude named Geltor, and it just so happens in this campaign, <laughs> there's, there's like 700, 700 dudes <laughs> named Geltor, and the, and the great thing is the players are in on the joke, and they already know it, like they'll walk into, you know, they, they, for a while they were, uh, in a previous campaign, they were running a casino, and they would just walk into the kitchen and go, hey, Geltor, and of course somebody would come, yeah, what do you want, boss? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to steal that, I'm going to use the yeah. Geltor gag. <laughs> exactly. It works. Um, see, I wish it, I wish I could claim it as original. It's not. And see, my... and see that's that's that, as much as that involves characters. That's actually more a circumstance quirk, right? That there's always a Geltor around, right? Um, right. You know, I, yep. th- I think creating funny characters can be done lots of different ways, but generally it comes down to give them one quirk. Like, don't make them completely over the top insane, right? Because then they get tiresome very quickly. But give well, them they're, so, they're give hard them... to run too. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Like, like you got to work. You got you're making your own work here. So, like, pace yourself. Yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to remember the complex, always funny, has a thousand different jokes character. It's easy to remember the guy who really likes walnuts, or um, the guy who who faints every time he sees a sword, or you know. It, Th- those are characters that are remembered. Exactly. They, nobody, nobody will remember the character's name unless it's Geltor. Um, but yeah. but they'll remember that. Oh yeah, I remember that guy. He faint he fainted when I pulled out my dagger. Yeah, and essentially, so like, <laughs> like I'm. I'll give you like the nine thousand foot philosophical overview of comedy, right? Which is that something happens, something happens again, and then something different happens. 
Okay, that's I mean like that's like that's the basic like that's comedy in its most primor- primordial form is you know premise setup punchline like that that's it mm-hmm. and and so that guy who does you know who faints at the at, at the sight of, of of a naked blade you know boom boom you you play that joke but then maybe the third time around something different happens or you know it it works in a different way or they or, the, or there's something you know there's there's a way to put a twist on it so so I would encourage you not only to come up with a bit that you can ride hard, which is which is easy and fun to do. The third time um, around, he reveals himself as a pacifist angel who just can't stand it anymore and flies away. Right, hey, sure. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Defy yeah, the expectations. Yeah. Or, or he's come. Yeah, he's come up with some really insanely complicated way of dealing with this thing, where he carries around all of these tiny bandages, <laughs> all of these little cords, and he gets out and he, you know, he measures your sword and he wraps it up, you know, so he doesn't ever have to. Or you know, he walks around wearing a blindfold or something like that. You know, I mean, there's well, different ways to spin that. Yeah, well, like what I did with the uh, chicken is that he was in a few encounters where he just kind of ran around and uh, hid, and then. But as but as the players were helping player characters were helping him along, uh, in one of the last encounters, he actually stood up at the beginning and was like, "No, you know, I'm not gonna keep running away. Uh, that's the whole reason that I was turned into a chicken. It's time to stand our ground." And so then the players uh, got involved in just trying to help him win that battle so that he could be changed back into a human. Right. Exactly. I mean, and that's that's where you've got you've got a bit that's been established. And yet it's fun for the players to discover that moment where things turn for your comedy uh-huh. comedy character. And, the, you, know, you know, I assume they, they, they loved that guy, but they loved him even more when he was like, hang on, I can't do this anymore. Like that's where, that's where the bit becomes interesting, right, is when you, when you, when you get to twist it. Uh-huh. Now, you, you had to establish it. Um, and I'm not saying like it's a, it's a, it's a solid rule of – there's a difference between telling jokes and then running, you know – comedic bits in a in a in a in a, in a long term game. But um but but have that have that be open to that possibility of oh something different is gonna happen with this game. Because if it's always absolutely predictable, then it then the joke wears itself out really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And if the guy who fainted just all that's all he did was faint and you knew that when you got into the big climactic battle with the pit fiend and the guy, you know, the Baylor drew his giant scythe or whatever he's got, that the guy was gonna just faint it's it's okay well why do we even bring them along so <laughs> yeah, yeah no i like i like that I, that's uh i i oftentimes don't think that deeply about my npcs but that's an interesting thing to, to think about to try to bring that twist once it's established once i sort of recognize that they keep going back to the same guy clearly they like him clearly they, they get the joke and and they're in on it then twist it and, and make them give them something they don't expect i, I like yeah. it what what I what I think you can't do is you can't betray the premise because then people go well, why didn't he just do that in the first place or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know. So you have to be you have to be careful about how you do that. But but you want to you know there's, there you certainly I mean you have ways to humanize those types of 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 goofball one off NPCs. But but give 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 them a give them a solid bit you know denote the tonal shift of like okay something a little different is happening here than in our normal game session and then either be prepared to to play him for a little bit, but be, be prepared to either, you know, like get out quickly if you need to. Cause that's, I'll tell you something. Uh, so I'll tell you about one of the worst comedy games that I ever ran. Um, and this was a while back. I was running a, a <laughs> I don't think you guys have ever, let me know if you've heard of this game system. It's called dragon storm. Have you ooh, ever heard of dragon ooh. storm? That's 
familiar, but I've never I don't know anything about it. Like just the you name know, is familiar. It's it was it was, it came out around the time that like like magic was really like hitting its stride, mm-hmm. and somebody said, "Hey, let's let's take the um, fun storytelling aspect of an RPG and combine it with the collectible card aspect." of magic the gathering and so you had you had a card that was your base character and then as you leveled up um you had cards that were like special abilities that you could trigger right um and i really i enjoyed the system quite a bit actually um it it was sort of limited in terms of you always just rolled 2d6 so at some point when you stacked up enough modifiers it was like the dice roll was just basically irrelevant like like you know whatever the the 7 point swing that you were going to get off of your two dice didn't really matter as much as the fact that you were doing plus 13 to hit the guy. Um at any rate so I was running this game and at some point it, uh, I noticed that on the calendar our game was going to fall on April Fool's Day. And uh, this whole Dragonstorm game was a world of shapeshifters, okay? So, so you were – all the characters, all the main hero characters were born as somebody who was a human. But then when you, you know, tapped your power card, you could turn into a unicorn or turn into a dragon or whatever. And uh, I decided that on April 1st for the session, I was going to run this just like crazy over-the-top over kind of scenario where, um, you know, they met uh, a leprechaun who took them to a marshmallow castle. And there was all this kind of like, like fairly uh, over the top, kind of like almost like a Candyland kind of scenario that was going on. Um, and I, I, start, I started getting into it and I kept piling it on. And, and my buddy was like, one of my buddies slipped me a note under the table because he was in on the joke. And he was like, Dude, this is not going well. You need to like you need to get out of this. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, oh crap, crap, crap. So then I turned my big reveal on, and my big reveal was it had all been a dream. And like one of the guys at the table like basically like rage quit the game right there. He's like, You're kidding me. That was terrible. That was the worst gaming session I've ever been in my like he told me in no uncertain terms just how awful uh that session was and uh, like how tired everything went and blah blah and, and the joke just like completely fell flat. And like, you know, I will never forget like like how I went into this thing like excited and with the best intentions and I thought this was going to be like a really fun, funny like April Fool's Day joke and it turned out to be an absolute disaster and it really just like soured the campaign for several sessions afterwards and whatnot and like my relationship with the players was really strained and and so when I talk – you know, you talk about like, oh, do you want to control the circumstances or the character? That's like that sort of experience for me says, oh – it's you run so much risk there because the players get involved and invested in the game in ways that you may not be able to um, anticipate. And then when you do pull what you think is your great like reveal punchline joke, it dies. Well, and, and then and, and then everybody's like, mad. And it sounds like that was also an issue of expectations being set. Right? I mean, they didn't know they were in a joke. No, they did not know. They yeah. were like, like it was set up like, and that's you know, of course, that's the nastiness of any of you know of most April Fools' pranks is that you don't know what's going in, and 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 I think if they had known that they were going into a more whimsical session, then they might have been, yeah. yeah, they 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 wouldn't have had their expectations messed with, and they they would have maybe bought in more. Now that doesn't mean it would have been funny, but at right. least they wouldn't have been upset because they were getting exactly. what, they got what they were expecting. Yeah. 
And that's, you know, that's, but, but, <laughs> you know, even if they, uh, you know, it's, I really think maybe you kind of got to like, if you're going to do something like that, you got to talk to your players ab- <laughs> about it, you know, about what's going, going to happen. Um, you know, you, you, and, and you have to, yeah, you have to, like, like we talked about setting the tone up front is just so important because if you've been running a very serious game and then all of a sudden it takes this weird whimsical twist people don't people don't people don't understand what's happening and i like the fact that uh the more we've been talking the more i think about it i like the idea that when we're talking about having a more a funnier game a game that's intended to be a more comedy based game we're talking more about whimsy and i think that's the sort of light touch approach that that actually probably works best um because if you go too heavy-handed it just becomes tiresome and and i I don't think many players would want to do it for more than maybe a one shot you know yeah, yeah, I think um I, I think that's definitely kind of like like the the two adjectives that I use is like whimsy and gonzo. You know, I think mm. of like both Gamma World and Paranoia as having kind of this gonzo element where it's like I I I can take normal stuff and do whatever I want. I'm I'm going to make a stop sign my best friend and I'm going to talk to it the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, which which I consider I don't know like a little bit more gonzo than sure than you know like like what i was trying to do with that that april fools game was i was also trying to do like a satire of the of 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 the game system and i was trying to do a satire of the game that i was running and like a they had no clue and then b they didn't see the difference between the satire and the you know the sessions previous. <laughs> so I'd done this horrible job of of like of showing like okay well, no this, no this is definitely something that's that's a that's a spinoff on on our, our normal campaign. Yeah. Now there's we've been talking a lot about how to like intentionally build comedy into a game. Um, the other sort of comedy type in, that happens in games uh, is is what I sort of in my head refer to as the accidental comedy, right? The stuff that you just sort of stumble upon. Uh, and Seren- that, serendipity yeah. is the technical term you're looking for. But that's as a, a that's comedy a, professional, I just, uh, that's, that's just why well you, actually on your own show, Jeff. How do you like that? That's why you are the funny man of gaming. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> uh, but but so that's not the kind of stuff you can obviously plan. If you did, it wouldn't be accidental. It wouldn't be serendipitous, if you will. Uh, but I think you can encourage it or be open to that so how do you sort of do that how do you encourage that kind of stuff to happen and not and not shut it down before it before it occurs well um you know uh did i stump you comedy man well (laughs) how do you how do you plan for the accidental is kind of what you're asking me there and um you know in some respects it's not a lot of it is not having too many preconceived ideas of what's supposed to happen next you know and i think that's just good general game master advice Um, yeah i i kind of sometimes actually want to do like learn more about improv exercises and then do them as a group so that way like we're more open when those things happen in the game to just rolling with it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely like something where uh, there are certain rule systems that like teach you these are the behaviors that are in bounds and allowed and then there's other rule systems that are like, "Well, you tell me what's happening in this in this narrative or in this in this world." Um and I, I don't know. I, like I have a I have a tough time 
recommending Im- like level one improv classes to people as like sure. this is the way to become funny. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think most people who've been through one level of improv are <laughs> funny. Sure. I'm sure I probably was not. Because you've got an idea um, of, of what, what you think is supposed to be the, the, you know, the real funny, but it's not necessarily the case, right? Well, yeah, I think – go ahead. I was just going to say I think a lot of times uh, the comedy and what ends up becoming funny is more about trust than necessarily what was being said. Hmm. Like you yeah, could that, Sorry. That, no, that's, that's absolutely true. Like you hit the nail on the head there is that, that like uh, – and that's what they're going to just pound into you at any – like the first three levels of improv is like trust what's happening. Trust your partner. Trust, trust. Tr- you know, it's, it's, it is – that is what it is all, all, all about, um, which is, you know, so you, the, the, the famous improv thing that you hear is yes and, mm-hmm. right? And I think uh, I'm going to let my comedy snobbery kind of like, like fly free here. But I, I think yes and is a fairly terrible um, tenet for, um, for improvisation. For a basic it's, – it's nice training wheels to help you learn how to do scenes and stuff like that. <laughs> But like as like the overriding thing of like <laughs> no, yes and doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the greatest fundamental building block. I think trust is. Mm-hmm. So trust your partner, like what they're saying, what their you know, what their point of view is, what they're espousing, trust that they're they're gonna stick to their bit, trust the circumstances that are being developed. Oh, there's a phone booth right here. Well, wait a minute, we're on the moon. Well, there happens to be a phone booth on the moon. Trust that that's going to, that it's going to make sense. Right. Um, and that's where I think improv would maybe be helpful. Is is and sometimes sometimes I think it's trust yourself too, especially if you're coming at it as like as a DM. Part of what you have to do, I think, is is like you were saying, is be open to it. But that means when somebody says something and you have no idea how that's going to actually make sense in your story. Trust that you're going to be able to figure out how that makes sense in your story. It may not right. make sense now, but you know, give yourself some time and and the time to sort of let things flow and see where it goes. Because because if it's funny and people are having fun with it and it's not supposed to be a serious moment in the story, then I don't think it's a horrible thing to sometimes you know entertain that and encourage that and go along with it. And if you do it a few times, then maybe the player is going to be more open to to being more experimental and trying that kind of stuff in the future too. You know, the metaphor that I use for um, running a game is that you're, you're like the host of a dinner party when you're the DM. And it's your job to set the table with the adventure and the NPCs and the monsters and the traps and stuff like that. And then it's the player's job to come and be a good guest at your dinner party and not, you know, throw the wine, you know, on the tablecloth and, and you know, and uh, hurl the glasses into the fireplace and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and the nice thing about doing episodic storytelling is that you've got that time in between to figure out why it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And not only is your job to host the dinner party and to serve the meal, but any good host of a dinner party always has a couple jokes that they tell to break the ice. And now wherever those get thrown in, that should also be something that's that's uh, an arrow in your quiver of DM tricks, which is I know how to, you know, let, let's find a, find a moment to invent something with the players, um, let them add to the world, change the story, or just have a fun moment with a, with a, with a goofy, quirky NPC. Mm-hmm. All right, on. 
<laughs> did did we solve it? Did we did we crack I, the I, nut th- of, I think of comedy? Uh, I think we figured it out. Everybody is now going to have hilarious games from here <laughs> on out. Of, I mean, I think I think you know the the other part of it too for me is um, as I've played more you know more games over the years and seen the kind of the phases that you go through with like. Man, I remember when we were all teenagers and we could play all summer and we had all this free time. And then, you know, you get to high school and you just play on the weekends or whatever. And then you get to college and you're more interested in doing other social activities. And then everybody gets a job and people settle down. Wait, and wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm supposed to be more interested in other things in college? <laughs> <laughs> I think I play, played more D&D in college than I did any time before. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there's that experience too. But, I mean, I guess the the point being like – like I guess when I first started, it was, or for a while there, it was like, like I want to run the most intriguing, gripping, um, you know, epic type of fantasy role playing game that I ever could. Um, and then at some point, it's like you know, I'm looking around at the guys who are sitting in, you know, around the table with me, and I'm like, we're just here to see each other and have a good time and, and tell some fun stories in the process. So if 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 you if you take it that seriously all the time. You either need to find a very special group of players who buy off on and have the investment in that, or you need to modify your play style to to suit those people who you know what it's Sunday night. I'm, I'm tired. I got to work tomorrow. I, I'm not really enjoying what's going on at work, but I'm here to roll some dice and kill some monsters, and maybe something fun will happen. And that's really why we play the game, right? And even if you're going to have the epic save the world, save the universe storyline, you can you can have the laughs along the way. And as Tracy alluded to before when she brought up Hamlet's hit points, that's not actually an inappropriate way of constructing stories. You know, when you know that there's a tense moment coming up or you just got through a tense moment, throwing some comedy in there to be sort of a, a good juxtaposition is not actually a bad idea to, for building the epicness. Well, we know that Shakespeare never went anywhere, so... <laughs> well, right. you know, the other thing that I will say that I think would be a good uh, a good tip. I'll give you an example from my game, but I think it's important. Ooh, tell us about your game. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done that <laughs> enough tonight. Oh my goodness! Um, but I th- I think it's important. One of the things that that I've really like taken to heart in the past couple of years, especially, is finding interesting ways to fail. Because for the longest time, I was that DM who was would just go, "Oh, you didn't roll. Well, that doesn't work." Yeah, sorry, that didn't work. No, no, no. And, and, you know, players understand that there's stakes and stuff like that, um, but it's not a fun game when things fail in a boring kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, for instance, uh, (laughs) my party was trying to sneak into Verbo Bonk. The place was, was locked down. It's under quarantine. There was a big plague going on. And anybody who was in the military was suspected of carrying this plague, so uh, nobody was getting in. Um, and one of the guys is this very suave, debonair kind of. Uh, did you guys see Inglorious Bastards? I have not. Ah, not so yet. Michael, Michael Fassbender plays this character who's like, you know, like the ultimate British spy, and he's very suave, and he has all the answers, and you know, he's he's a little bit full of himself, but I mean, he's that handsome, debonair. You know, British agent that everybody just wants to love so much because he seems he's like the 007 of, of of the Allied forces. Well, that's who this you know one of the guys in the campaign. He's modeled after this dude, but in a fantasy kind of world. And uh, and so they walk up to the gate and they kind of disguise themselves and they go and try and bribe the guard. You know, like oh hey hey hey, do you think you could uh, you could let some. Uh, 
you know, let some uh, poor petitioners in for evening prayers. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't you make your, you know, make your charisma check um, to try and bluff your way past this guard, and you're going to bribe him, buy him off. So let's see if it works. And he rolled like a three, and I rolled like a seventeen. <laughs> and he's, and he's, and of course the guard like immediately sees through it. And, and for some reason, I don't remember what it was. He activated the the guy activated some sort of special ability where he got to re-roll his his charisma check. And so he re-rolls and he gets like a twenty. Well, the point being like he had completely botched his roll, but he like gets out some more money and throws it at the guy and and manages to catch up. And the guy goes. Oh, oh, that's a terrible, you know, that's a terrible disguise. How can he even bribe and like come at me with his like weak story of, of you know, of, of being this poor petitioner who wants to do Sunday, you know, mass when I, it's so clear that you're somebody from the military. He makes a second check and, and, uh, the guard recognizes him is like, Oh, you're Archibald. Aren't you? Aren't you the guy who killed that Baylor demon with his bare hand? Come on in. Hey guys, come on over here. Look, we want to get, want to get an autograph. I want to, I want to get, you know, basically get my picture taken with this guy. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just, it was a fun moment where you turned around, like you took this kind of like complete, you could have just said, Oh, okay. Either we're going to, you know, deny them entrance because he botched his role or we're going to start some sort of weird combat. How dare you? You know, I'm a part of the King's guard and they're going to fight and there's going to be a whole, you know, this whole messy side scenario when instead it turns out, out the guy's disguise was so terrible that he got recognized for the celebrity that he he, he is within the armed forces and, the, and they took him in we know with open arms like oh come on in yeah oh we've been talking hey tell me about that time when yeah. you you know cool. so yeah. i think that's another it's 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 you know i think failures are a great place to insert comedy as well because you have a chance to put something fun in that Everybody knows, well, those circumstances aren't, weren't going to pan out for you anyhow. Now, you have, run the risk of making your PCs look like buffoons. Sure. But, you know, it, it, it can definitely be a moment where, okay, well, the Hobgoblin, you know, he rolls a, he rolls a two. Well, he, he gets, you know, he gets his, his, uh, the cuff of his shirt caught cr- in the crank of his uh, crossbow and he starts trying to, like, extricate himself, you know, st- self from, from his own weapon <laughs> and shoots himself in the foot. Um, that's the other thing too, is you've got all of these NPCs which are ultimately mostly disposable. Go ahead and and beat on them if you want to have a comedy scene where it's just kind of a, a, a parade of errors. Like, yeah, and I think I think part of the the fail in interesting ways at its core, that's just really about coming up with interesting descriptions to describe the dice, right? Um, whether it's a failure or a success, you can you can do interesting things there too. Sometimes comedic, sometimes not. I, I played my first game of Fate Core last weekend, uh, and there's a mechanic there that actually sort of um, made me pra- you know flex those muscles a little bit because if you there's you know there's a, a success, there's a t- there's a, a failure, and then there's a tie. And if you tie, it's a success with a minor consequence. Right. You know, so then, but there's no like set standard of this is what the minor consequence is, or this is a, a list of minor consequences to choose from. It's a, it's just minor and you, you, you know, you sort it out, right? So in that moment when, when the character is trying to be sneaky and hide on the other side of the doorway and he, and they roll a tie on his, on his stealth, you know, great. Now I, as a DM, have to come up on the fly with, okay, what does that mean, you know, and and how can I make that interesting and and meaningful, but not at the same time not hamstring him, right? Right. Uh, And so it's just practicing those, you know, describe things, explain things, and sometimes those things are funny. Yeah. Yeah. And those are those are those again, like that just speaks in general to that whole idea of 
trust yourself to make it interesting mm-hmm. to find a way. And and if you can do that on s- things as simple as, oh, I rolled a two on my climb rope check or whatever, then when the big character moments come around, you'll just have, have worked that muscle enough that you'll know, oh, here's an opportunity where this guy's always washing his hands or whatever, you know, that type of shtick may be. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think fine, like, like, like you talk about improv, taking improv classes, I think that sort of what I would call kind of like narrative embellishment mm-hmm. is far more useful than being able to play a scene off of a partner who may or may not be as good at it as you are. There you go. <laughs> All right, so let's go through and, and wrap things up with you know any last bits of advice we have or or your favorite bit of of inserting comedy advice from from the evening or from things we haven't talked about this evening and we're going to let Tom go last cuz he's the best. So Tracy, what's your favorite comedy advice? I don't I just learned to read the other people at the table to see what they want. Like there was one time when Basically, the players were telling me what they wanted, which was they're in this house looking around, and they're just, like, looking over everything. They're like, that's got to be a mimic, and that's got to be a mimic. So I didn't do it the first couple of times, and then finally, like, around the third time. Look at that. I would- <laughs> Premise, setup, punchline, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good. In fact, you know what? That's my favorite takeaway. I was I was going to say characters over circumstances, but I changed my mind. I, my my big takeaway from the whole thing was was – the basic structure of comedy, right? Premise, setup, and then the twist, right? That, that, I, I like that concept, and I've never thought about applying it that way in my game, so now I'm going to. So, all right, Tom, it's, it's, it's time for the, the funny man of, of gaming to hit us with the one big, big thought of comedy. Uh, my one big th- thought of comedy is find something small, find something very specific, make it the most important thing to that character in the world. Whatever that is, um, it's funny that you, that your big thing is small. Right, right, right. Well, I, think, <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, I, I assume I'm giving advice to people who don't necessarily practice comedy as part of their daily, you know, no, no, no. type of type of. No, uh, I'm on board of the employment. I'm, I'm on board with the advice. I just th- th- thought it was ironic that you said my big thing is find something small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. Yes. Exactly. That's that's that that's well, and and I guess that's the point is that. Uh, don't, don't put more emphasis on it than it deserves. You know, uh, it's, it's a lot, sim- keep it, if you keep it very simple and very succinct and very pointed, um, I think he's saying, and, I, kill, I killed the joke by pointing it out. Darn. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, it, it is, it is, it is, it is a fascinating bit of irony. Um, anybody who goes back and listens to this podcast will hear me contradict myself about 900 times, however. Um, so, 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 so you're saying you're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good at being a confused mess who will, uh, contradict himself at every left and <laughs> right funny. turn. I mean, it's such a big topic, you know, that like, what's the, what's the right way to be funny. And I, and I don't know that there's a, well, there, I probably have a lot of other, an hour, another hour's worth of opinions on the, is there a right way to be funny or not? As, uh, um, as, as Pinjolette has put it, I don't mind being a hypocrite because, that way, I'm I'm twice as likely to be right. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so find something small. Find something specific. Um, definitely, like denote the change in, in that that this character is 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 different from the rest of the game somehow. And then just be ready to to, well, number one, trust yourself, um, and to to invent details or to invent a way to make it work. And number two, just be ready to give up on it if it's not working because because. The only thing worse than a bad joke that happens once is a bad joke that will not stop. <laughs> Remember that one time when I said, you know, that your big thing is small? That was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, now we're doing a bit. I mean, that's again, there's the like there's the contradiction. It was like a bit is something that keeps coming back, right? So that's essentially I've counseled you to do a bit, but be prepared <laughs> to drop the bit if people are not getting, you know, getting into it. Yeah. Um, All right. That's that's my big thing, I have to say. If there was a big thing, Excellent. I think we've got lots of funny in there, and some of it was useful. <laughs> Most of it was useful because <laughs> I wasn't particularly trying to be funny. To be honest. oh man, <laughs> unfortunately, like I, I, I will say, just on a wrap up note, boy, we're running long here. But um, you know, it it took a lot, a lot of brain work and thought and uh, dedication to try and come up with something like the world's worst dungeon crawl which is a set of circumstantial jokes mm. as opposed to just a set of, of quick one-off kind of like character sprinkling type of things mm-hmm. um, and so I, I'm, you know my hope here tonight was that I've given people advice that they can easily quickly pick up and put in because if you're planning something uh, of, of a larger scope like I ran with the world's worst dungeon crawl I mean, it literally took me months and and many many playtesting sessions to get that to the point where I was ready to perform it. Right on, very good. Well, I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode, and I want to first thank Tom Lamel for joining us. Tom, you just mentioned the world's worst dungeon crawl, but tell us about everything else, Tom Lamel. Uh, everything else, Tom Lamel. Um, I am this is probably the part where you, this is the part where you pimp what you, what you want to pimp. That's right. I'm most known to your audience, I would hope, as Bill Cavalier, the Dungeon Bastard, and you can catch me and all my videos at www.dungeonbastard.com. I am a professional adventure coach, and I will be more than happy to tell you how you are gaming wrong. Mostly by playing uh, gnomes and bards, right? Gnomes and bards are anathema to me. <laughs> Right. Very good. Um, They are small. (laughs) My big thing is gnomes and bards. (laughs) All right. I also want to thank all of you guys out there for supporting the show by using our affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. You can get a hold of us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME, which is working. In fact, I've received two phone calls recently, one of which was basically just to say, hey, I was checking to see if it works, and it does. Because um, I questioned that in an earlier episode. You can find show notes and other great Tome Show shows over at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 235, where we played the Gnome Bar Jester in your DD podcasting court in this episode of. The Tome, the Tome, the Tome, the Tome, the Tome, the Tome. I'm not a